it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Raj Gopalan, 
Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg. Explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG guys. Hello and welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. I'm PVSB, and when I am not co-hosting this podcast with my partner, Shree and Brian, I serve as Partnership Acceleration Lead at Flywheel, a new division of Omnicom that helps enterprise brands improve their SEO and SEM, growing their e-commerce business. I'll be hosting today's episode by myself as my CPG Guys colleagues are otherwise indisposed. I know Shree is at home in LA dealing with a flood of biblical proportions, and I think this is his second one in as many years. Uh, before we get to our guest, we want to ask everyone listening to help spread the word about this community we've created in the CPG guys, beyond sharing our podcast with your friends and your colleagues, if you're using Apple or Spotify as your preferred listening platform, please leave us a rating as it helps feed the algorithm that makes us more findable by CPG Retail's people like you looking to educate and entertain yourselves. Uh, we're happy that the CPG Guys is also part of an impressive collective of highly rated podcasts, including CPG Guys Fast Forward, hosted by our very own Brian Gildenberg. CBG Scoop with recent Jennifer and the FMCG guys across the pond with Daniel Efrain and Christine. And finally, we're incredibly proud of our allyship with Next Up, formerly known as Network of Executive Women, whose mission it is to advance the cause of women in business and promote gender equality in the workplace. Next Up has terrific educational and networking resources available to its members. Shri, of course, serves as a director of Next Up. Link to our podcast, our sister cast, our landing page on Next Up, and the social media profiles of Shree's incredibly successful performing artist daughters, Rhea and Lara, may be found in the digital liner notes of this episode. So let's get this conversation going. Shree and I met today's, and I put this in quotes, disruptive guest. You'll understand that in a second. Two years ago. In Orlando, Florida, like us, he was a featured speaker at the Nielsen IQ Consumer 360 conference at the time. He was serving as the chief innovation strategist for Colgate Palmolive Company. Two years prior to that, he'd sold his oral care company, Hello Products, to Colgate Palmolive. Ten years prior to that, he'd founded EOS, a manufacturer of lip balm, where he remained for nearly two years. He's also an entrepreneur in residence at Babson College and an advisory board member for Flow Water. And if that isn't enough, he's also a portfolio accelerator at Brand Velocity Partners, a PE firm. In July of last year, our guest jumped back into the startup game by founding and leading Happy. He's here to talk to us about his experience in consumer goods and how Happy will ultimately disrupt the gargantuan, colossal global coffee business. Um, please join me in welcoming to the podcast, Jersey Boy Craig Dubetsky. Craig, hey man, what's going on? How you doing? Hello, hello, hello. Happy to be here and uh, happy to be recognized for my Garden State roots. So thank you. Oh, after this, I'm in Manhattan today, but I'm plopping down in Newark to pick up my colleague who's flying over from London, and we're we're on our way down to Baltimore later. Love but uh, my family's all in New Jersey. They're mostly in the Morristown and Summit and Maplewood area. But yeah, I'm a, love them all. That's fabulous. I don't understand why the license plate is the Garden State. Shouldn't it just say New Jersey all turns from right? That would be good. Or jug handles are your friend. Exactly. Or, exactly. You know, yeah, it should. But, you know, we need to petition. We need to petition that. 
Or it should just say Born to Run on the license plate, and that would be great. It would make Brian happy, I'm sure. I think it would. Hey, uh, we appreciate you making time to speak with us today. Hard to believe uh, this started two years ago in a conference ballroom in Orlando. Have you been keeping busy since then? You know, you're like just like twiddling <laughs> your thumbs. What are you doing? You know? Yeah, yeah. I've been keeping busy. First of all, all good things tend to start in a ballroom. Just want to leave that there. You know, whether that's an IKEA or you know a large conference, <laughs> uh, it's 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 a good good place to start. Yeah, I've been keeping busy. You can't keep a passionate entrepreneur down, I guess. And um, you know, I can't help myself. I see opportunity everywhere, and it irks me and pulls on my heartstrings. It makes me want to do you know all sorts of startupy things. Well, we're going to pick at that scab in this conversation, but uh, in the digital liner notes, this episode will include links to your LinkedIn profile, Happy's LinkedIn page, and of course, Happy's website for our listeners to access. While we go on with our conversation, they listen to our melodious voices as we entertain them, no doubt. That's beautiful. And if anyone wants to call it right, they can. So I'll leave them all that information too. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. We'll talk about that too. Why don't we start? The beginning, you know, when did when did the entrepreneurial spirit first take hold of your career and why has it become this habit for you? I've heard all sorts of euphemisms about entrepreneurship over the years. You know, entrepreneurs are born, not made and all that kind of stuff. I think anybody who has an idea is an entrepreneur. And I think you're a, maybe a better than average entrepreneur if you can take your idea and make it real and by real we can define that as something that actually exists in the world that maybe someone else might want to partake of. A lot of people think you're only good if you know you have an exit, quote unquote exit. I would argue that, again, sticking with this concept of if you have an idea, you're a founder, um, you're an entrepreneur. You could say that America was created by a bunch of founders, right? The founding fathers, they were entrepreneurs and their business plan, in a sense, was the constitution, right? So if you have an idea and you can make it real, you're an entrepreneur. And I guess from the start for me, I've always had a lot of ideas and I wasn't scared about taking them for a spin. And uh, literally, I was a kid with a lemonade stand, not to give you my entire life story, but I literally was a kid with a lemonade stand. And my lemonade stand, I also decided lemonade wasn't enough and I could cross sell and upsell all sorts of things. So my lemonade stand had a car wash and I employed all these kids in the neighborhood to wash the cars while I flagged down the, the drivers coming by for lemonade and for car wash. and. Uh, it worked out pretty well. So I've just sort of been like that my whole life. I just see opportunity everywhere. And uh, I am compelled to try to fill in these gaps when I find them, you know, between what people want and what's actually available. And it's that arbitrage that keeps enabling me to leverage ideas and try to turn them into businesses. Well, I feel that uh, myself, it only took me 54 years of my life before my best friend and I decided to create this little media channel that we uh, ideally at the beginning was meant simply to pass the time at the beginning of the pandemic and kind of took on a life of its own. So uh, I joined you. It just took me a little longer to get to that state of being. There's never a bad time. And by the way, like your swag is exceptional. I just want to say that, you know, apart from building a community and having a podcast, I really do think that the swag is, you know, don't undersell that swag. It's powerful. It's really good. 
Well, two things. One, we're going to definitely send you some swag after this, so no worries about that. But uh, it's funny. We sat down with our accountant at the end of last year and went over all of our numbers, and he said, do you know what your single biggest line item of expense is? And we said, it's got to be the travel. We go to like 15 conferences. And he goes, it's not even close. It's just swag. You guys get everything. And I thought about it, and it's like I find something online that's customizable, I upload the logo, I do a screen cap, I send it to Shri, and he sends back two words, get it. And right. the next thing you know, it's in our mailbox like two weeks later. That's right. Like, I'll take a gross of those and a gross of those. And, I know. It's kind of crazy. But swag is big. It's all about branding, but we're going to get into that because I know you agree that uh, how you position your brand is very powerful. So 15, 16 years ago, you founded EOS. What did you think, and I guess, why did you think Lip Balm was a category that was appropriate for disruption? And how did you go about seeking to engage consumers in terms of both the product and the message? Let's start our journey together Mm. by having fun with words, because I love words. One is I love people, not consumers in general, and as definitions, like words, yuck. As soon as you start labeling people, I don't mean you, anybody, it's like, who's our target and who's our consumer? As soon as you start doing that, you're creating distance between the people you're actually trying to get close to, right? So I never think about like, who's the target and who's the consumer. Was it Kierkegaard or Dick Van Patten who said, if you label me, you negate me? I can't remember. That was a Wayne's World quote, I think. It's, you know, whoever we attributed to, they were spot on. Yeah. So um, success has many authors. I would say that apart from picking apart the word consumer and the distance it creates, again, the opposite of what I think we're all trying to achieve, I also am not fond of the word disruptive or disruption because what I like to think of is how do we delight people more? And the people that end up not delighting as much, they're the ones who end up getting disrupted. So we're not trying to be disruptive with anything. We're just trying to figure out how do we make people, not consumers, not targets, really, really happy, so to speak. And if we do that right, the rest takes care of itself. So with EOS in particular, I was very fortunate that I had this history with this other brand prior to that called Method, which is a household cleaning products brand. And there's some personal care. And I was very, very fortunate to meet the founders when they were literally two guys mixing products in their bathroom and appreciate their vision. There was a really big idea here and they had a real love for design, as do I. I really love design. And not design just like, oh, that's a pretty shape or pretty color. Yes, there's that aspect. But really this idea of a heightened sense of sensitivity around how people view things and touch them and live with them and, and how those things could actually make life a little bit brighter, a little bit more interesting. So having had method in my background to some extent um, as a early investor and board member, I was looking at CPG across the board for a long time. And my bride, who's still my bride, at the time, she and almost every woman I seem to know had this purse. It was a very popular purse. It was the Longchamp purse. It was this cavernous bag that was really cool because you could dress it up, you could dress it down, you could kind of make it a little smaller, you could put all your stuff in there. And I used to jokingly say, it's a gym bag, overnight bag, diaper bag, yoga bag, computer bag. Like you name it, this thing could handle everything. But it was this black hole and you couldn't find anything in it. And this is when the iPhone was brand new. And if you can remember back to those ancient times when the iPhone was new and we were all learning how to pinch and swipe, 
the flash on the camera for the iPhone was just a flash. There was a separate third-party app you could pay for and download that would turn it into a flashlight. And that was so popular, Apple was like, we need to include this as like a feature set item. So every person I knew who had this giant bag used that program so they could use the phone to find things in the purse. Yeah, exactly. It was this flashlight you could hover above this, you know, cavernous black hole of a purse. So I thought that was really, again, like a little bit of a crazy thing that people would want this giant bag and they couldn't find anything in it. And I was looking at lip balm and my, my bride, like many, used all sorts of lip products. And the shape was almost always the same. You know, it was a stick. And I thought, well, God forbid your flash was, you know, not working on your iPhone and you pulled something out mistakenly for, you know, what you thought was lip balm that was also a cylindrical thing. And that could be embarrassing in public. And and the average woman at the time was ingesting five pounds of petrochemicals from lip product. A little quick, I think there's this thing called the Google, and you could find out all sorts of interesting tidbits. The Google. Uh, audience, take note of that. The Google. We'll look that. Is that like the Facebook? It's vintage. It's right around that same, you know, it was like, you know, MySpace, Friendster, you know, that whole thing was happening. So you could use all sorts of sites to find out data points. And it turns out the average woman was ingesting five pounds of petrochemicals from lip products. So this idea was like, well, what if you could make the lip product findable? and beautiful and so unique that you wanted to hold it and touch it and uh, and keep it out in the open because it was just a beautiful object, an objet that you could observe and, and engage with. And what if, you know, we made the product since you're putting it on your lips and if you put it on your lips, it's going in your mouth, which means it's going in your body. What if we could make it that much more natural? So that sort of all gave birth to EOS and sort of the rest with EOS is, is history. I guess you could say I made it in a lot of ways I don't want to say just I, it wasn't me. There was a, a bunch of us. But for me, the big push was my wife out of nowhere became allergic to what are called stone fruits, peaches, plums, nectarines. And when I say allergic, I mean like anaphylaxis, bad EpiPens, like bad, bad allergic. And one of the flavor names, I named it summer fruit because it was peach, plum, and nectarine. It was all the fruits she couldn't have. She doesn't like cherries that much, so I left cherries out. But it was peach, plum, and nectarine. And that was because she couldn't eat those things anymore. And we had moved from the South. We lived in Atlanta for a while at one point. And she loved, we had honeysuckle. And, you know, we, we left all that behind. So I made honeysuckle honeydew because I like alliteration because if it rhymes, it's right. And melon was an interesting flavor. And melon is a, sounds very generic. So honeysuckle honeydew. I made it for my wife. And um, I think there's a theme there. It's like creating things that come from a place of love, as hokey as that may sound, versus for a target, for an audience for disruption, that's academic and very transactional versus something really emotional and, dare I use this word, authentic. Something immutable, in my case, my love for my wife. So she would tell me I need to be muted, but but my love for her is you know, immutable. So um, yeah, it came from this, this really healthy, good place. And I think that's the birthplace for a lot of ideas that I have. Like what, what's troubling to somebody? What could be made better? How can you make something someone could actually fall in love with, not just buy? There's really good margin in love, by the way. I like that. I would tend to agree. So taking that experience, you then in 2012 founded Hello Products. And I want to know what about the oral care category told you that it was ripe for delighting people? Notice how I adjusted my language there? Thank you. That was that was beautiful. There were no edits involved for those of you listening at home. 
all my stories are true stories. I was in a big... You can do two truths and a lie. You can make up one story that's a complete lie if you want. Okay, we can do that at the end. It'll be a lot okay. of fun. Um, okay. So I'll tell you my daughter's two truths and a lie because it's really, really very cute. <laughs> um, so my story is I was in a large chain drugstore. I don't remember why I was there. I used to work for one. I know what they're like. There you go. Yeah, it happens. And I was in one on... Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter where it was, but, you know, 3rd Avenue and 26th Street, I think it was in New York City. And I was walking towards probably like the refrigerator, you know, single serve case to get something to drink, I think. And I walked by the oral care set. It wasn't a plan. It wasn't like I'm going to go in and look for something that I think, you know, isn't resonating with people in an emotionally connected way. But I walked by the oral care set and I saw like something jumped out at me. And actually, it was a brand new product at the time that had a hologram of an extracted tooth on the box. This is a new product launch and there was a display and there were things and I went, oh, that is horrific. Like it got my attention, which clearly was the idea, but for all the wrong reasons. So I noticed this big hologram extracted tooth and after the shock and awe of seeing the big roots hanging down in 3D, no less, I then just looked at the language and everything in oral care seemed to be saying, you know, kill, fight, eliminate, destroy, and uh, it was very scary. I just saw all these really aggressive terms. And I looked at the big red brand and the big blue brand. And there was this big white brand in the middle. Everything was red, white, and blue. And there were extracted teeth everywhere. And one brand was Max. And the other brand was Ultra. And the other, you know, it was like the Cola Wars. It was just, you know, Coke and Pepsi, blue and red and red and blue. And, and the language was like, who could out Ultra, Mega, Plus, complete, total each other? And I thought, you know, this is the most unfriendly approach to this category that's supposedly about smiling. And let's just go with good oral health. But smiling is certainly part of it. And I just didn't see anything that was landing for me. Everything was, to me, designed to scare you. Like, if you don't use this, the dentist is going to hurt you. You're going to get drilled, filled, and billed. And you're not going to get paid because you won't get a job because the interview won't go well because your teeth don't send out like laser beams of starburst. And, you know, you're not going to get a kiss goodnight because your breath is reeky and freaky and everything's just bad news unless you use this stuff. And it really just hit me up. And I thought, my God, this is the most unfriendly category I've ever seen, given that smiling is supposed to be part of the equation here. Fear and shame are really what it's about. So that just triggered something for me viscerally and immediately. And I thought, what's the friendliest word I could think of? And it was hello. So I trademarked the word hello, <laughs> and which took some doing all over the place. And I'd met a formulator years prior who had worked at a big CPG, big beverage company, and she had gotten seven cavities from working there for making a lot of things with way too much sugar. Mm -hmm. And she had turned her attention to oral care. And we basically had this idea, which was anything that goes in your mouth should taste great. Otherwise, there's no business going in your mouth. And and if it goes in your mouth, it's going to go in your body, kind of like lip care. It goes on your lips, goes in your mouth, goes in your body. It should be as natural as possible. Well, same with oral care. So we're like, it should taste great and be as natural as possible, as natural as we can make it. And how to be effective because it's a wellness, you know, it's a true wellness product category. You know, if you, if you made shampoo and it's humid one day and you have a bad hair day, well, it's a bad hair day. You know, the weather's going to change. If you have a bad tooth day, you don't have a better tooth day because you went to better weather. Like, it's just not how it works. So efficacy was really top of mind. So anyway, long story short, hello became hello. Um, we had great formulations. They really were effective and continue to be effective. I'm not there anymore. So I'm speaking from my history. 
And we had this, these beautiful products. They looked good. We used to get love letters from people. Like whoever sent a love letter to their oral care company, you know? I don't have to fight with my child anymore. We had this big insight. And I am being facetious, but it turns out it was kind of a big insight. It seems so obvious. People have to, they used to have to fight with their children and get them to brush their teeth. So I wrote this bit of copy that says they'll rush to brush without all the fuss. That was it. It was like, what if it tasted so delicious they wanted to use it and was so natural they could use it as much as really as they wanted? It wasn't going to be a problem. And that was a big moment, like blew up. And and how did you then break in and drive trial of the product? Was it the package on the shelf and getting it into physical retailer? What was the mechanism <laughs> that really got people to say, I want to give this a try? Yeah. Well, I'm laughing because there are quite a few things. One was obviously trial. We wanted people to try it because to try it was to love it. So we always wanted people to give it a go. So any kind of sampling we could do, we were all over that. Just, you know, get it into people's hands and mouths. And when people would see it, they would really appreciate that it, it, it looked different and it looked pretty. And the language wasn't the typical language of the category. And it didn't feel like, oh, yeah, I'm a big company and I hired a cool hipster, you know, inked up beanie wearing in August in the Northeast group of people that wrote the copy for me to make it look cool. It felt like it was really, you know, from people that, we're a little different. And um, I think all that came through. And the reason I was chuckling was because I think when you and I met, or, or before, you know, we actually met, but we, we saw each other, I was eating a tube of toothpaste. And that was one thing I used to do a lot of. And I don't think anyone should do that. So if you're listening, don't go out there and buy toothpaste. And by the way, it's my puppy barking. It's I okay. We, we, very sweet. we enjoy disruptions like that. It's called the human side of things. Yeah, she might be in my lap in a second here. Um, That's okay. She's very cute. Yeah, let's see if I can get her. Come say hi. Come here, Coco. Come here. Come here. Come here. She's a, a great rehomed golden doodle. Or, sorry, labradoodle. Sorry, I get my doodles mixed up here. Now, I seem to remember you've also had a lot of cats in your household too, haven't you? Yes, you're correct. I say it's the royal we. My, my wife and daughter fostered at one point we had... Oh my God, I don't remember what the high water mark was, but I think we had like 14 cats. We had two pregnant mama cats. And, and cumulatively, how many have you fostered? Um, oh God, 40 in total, yeah. I think. And we That's kept a, a few foster fails. But um, yeah, we love animals. My wife has chickens now. We have lots of animals. But but anyway, um, this is Coco and she'll hopefully stop barking because she's on my lap being very sweet now. But um, I forgot where we were. Oh, you know, we were talking about uh, hello. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit about, you know, how you drove trial in the products. Oh, yeah. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. So sampling was big. Sampling was big. And something else was it was, you know, just like behavioral. Like you really could Skype with me from our website. It really came to me. And yes, I would eat toothpaste, only fluoride free toothpaste in front of people just to highlight. It was delicious and it was vegan. It was natural and it was safe. And um, that was really also kind of fun. So any chance I had to get in front of people, not because I'm a ham and not because I just love to be in front of people. It, it turns out I am a ham and I do love to be in front of people, but that wasn't a, a plan. And as often as we could tell our story, we would. And it wasn't like, oh, yeah, we had this super integrated marketing effort. And we weren't that sophisticated in the beginning to pull that kind of immense effort off, to be honest. It was really like hand to hand. How do we get out there, go to stores, give product away, go to any event we could? And my theory was anyone who has teeth 
that's who we're going to go talk to. That's a big, broad audience, which is a good thing. It was broad. So yeah, total addressable market. The old TAM was incredible. There we go. So obviously, as you're doing this and you're trying to create a product that delights people, you're creating a culture within the company. I've heard you talk about this as well, that you don't even like to refer to them as employees. They were, to some degree, family members for you. So Yes, I'm allergic. There you go. Well, how, how did you think about fostering this thriving culture at Hello? And I have to imagine there were probably some concerns going through your head about how that might transform when you decided to consider selling the company to Colgate Palmolive? Sure. Well, a couple of things. One, because I'm an entrepreneur and I've been an investor for a while. And I think if you think about selling something, you're always in trouble. So we never thought about selling. People would always say like, oh, you're building this thing to sell it. And I would say, no, I'm building this thing so we can make the coolest, best products that people can fall in love with. That's what we're selling. And I used to say that about our team. Like, like my job was to make sure the coolest, smartest people could do their coolest, smartest, best work. And I could get out of the way or help them any way I could to enable them to do that. And it may sound hokey, but it wasn't hokey. It's like it was exactly the root of everything we did. And I remember we had a holiday meal and um, I was making a little, you know, unscripted toast. And I, and I was thanking everybody because we had you know, really been through a lot. And I said, you know, I'm the founder and I hear people say things, well, you're the founder. And I said, you're all founders. Everybody's a founder. And you can't fake that stuff. Like when you let people in and, and then basically the other thing is we made sure we gave everybody equity in Hello. So everybody was a literally a stakeholder in the business. And that was, sorry, Coco, come here, baby. Okay, you're a good doggy. And um, that was a real sense of ownership and it was real ownership. And that was magical too. So it was this idea of like not having layers or legacy get in the way and making people feel like the best idea could come from anybody at any time. I used to say that all the time. Like the best marketing idea can come from somebody in logistics. If you don't give them a chance, that'll never happen. So it was sort of how do you keep people very excited and focused about what needs to get done, but then make sure that things are you as an organization are open and actively available to listen. Because really what most people I think really want more than anything is to be heard, right? And, and, and be appreciated and understood and contribute. So creating an environment and a culture where that's not only possible, but it's valued greatly, I think was a big game changer. And when it came down to Colgate becoming part of our lives, I used to say to people, we didn't have an exit, we had an entrance because the biggest oral care company in the world thought what we were doing was interesting enough that they wanted to partake of it. And now all of a sudden, instead of being out of the business, we were really in the business in a much bigger, broader way. And that was really cool. And that we were being uh, you know, rewarded emotionally, not just financially, because everyone sort of goes there. And that was really meaningful. And to Colgate's credit, they kept us all together. The Hello Office was still the Hello Office. And you know, I had this interesting dual role uh, where I became the chief innovation strategist for Colgate, which was amazing. Like Colgate is just an incredible company. Well, let's talk about that because you didn't just fade off into the sunset with, uh, you know, a nice little bank account. You remained as the chief innovation strategist for nearly three years. I'd love to know, you know, what exactly were you doing in that role and how did it help 
you know, a hundred plus year old brand with 60% plus household penetration, like 20 points higher than the next highest penetrated brand in the world. I mean, it's just an iconic. When we think iconic, I think Colgate, right? Our our friend of the podcast, Diana Hosling, who's awesome. who's who's awesome and is such a strong advocate. You know, she's very much about trying to drive innovation in this brand. What were you doing in that role? Well, quite a few things. And something else that was very unfortunate to have in the backdrop was COVID. So right after Hello became part of Colgate, I think literally the first reported attributed case of a fatality from COVID in the U.S., because I'm sure there were many others, but they just weren't really attributed to COVID as yet, was the day we closed our transaction with Colgate. So I think there were lots of plans that had to be sidelined for quite a while due to COVID. But a big part of what I did was, I don't know how I do these things, but I, I see lots of areas and avenues for opportunity. And sometimes they're the most basic things. But in my mind, everything communicates. Everything's a potential opportunity. If you can just tweak it, even sometimes a little bit, it doesn't have to be you throw the baby out with the bathwater and you got to start from scratch. It's just a little thing. So a lot of what I did was I spent a lot of time listening to people from all over the world because Colgate, as you were saying, people don't realize it's the most penetrated brand in terms of measurable households, I think, in the world. So there was, there's Colgate and they were operating in over 200 countries, you know, with a lot of people. And I got to go and unfortunately not go zoom and, you know, use other video means to meet with a lot of people from all over the world and try to come up with different ways of thinking and approaching opportunities in the different categories in which Colgate competes, whether that's household cleaning across a variety of brands, personal care, oral care, new product development, and also not just focus solely on product. Like we would talk to HR about how they hire and if there were certain outlets that they approached or that they used as conduits for new potential recruits for the, for the organization. And I would stress that there might be other ways. Like, you know, if you hire from the same schools, they tend to have the same professors. It's called tenure, you know, and they print out a certain number of students with a certain way of thinking that if you want a real diversity of thought, not just diversity of you know experience and not the thought doesn't come with experience because obviously it does, but coming right out of school, there might be some different schools that you might never have considered or maybe not everyone needs an MBA or, you know, so I used to try to push on a lot of the inputs. So, you know, you can't expect different outputs if the inputs remain the same. So I used to try to push on like, well, how can we think about this? Is there a different set of folks we can talk to? Is there a different approach? Can we work in concert with retail partners and not present to them, but speak with them differently. Just a lot around story, storytelling, listening. And um, I think that was a big part of my role. And obviously to help push Hello along and be there for international expansion for Hello. And I'm not contractually obligated to say nice things about Colgate. So when I say this, people sometimes are like, oh yeah, you know, sure. They, they acquired your company. I'm like, I miss a lot of people at Colgate. It's an incredible company. People don't just go to work at Colgate, they join Colgate. That's another big thing for me. Like, how do you create things people join, not just that they transact with? So Colgate is a very special place and they're very humble and they're very quiet and um, they take stock in people. So I have so much respect for Colgate. I loved my time there. And the fact that they actually saw any value or hope there would be any value in someone like me just makes my heart sing. 
I want to remind our audience that I'm speaking today with Craig Dubetsky. He's the founder and CEO of Happy. One of the things I remember of our time in Orlando together is you actually posted up on the screen your email address and your direct phone number. You made reference to that earlier on. You know, I, I think you are an incredibly accessible and responsive person. I reached out to you at the end of last week about maybe coming on the podcast. And like, I think less than a business day later, here we are having this conversation. So I'd love to know what's your thought around that? And how do you think it's this accessibility has served you well in your professional pursuits? What a great question. Um, well, I, I all, only ask bad questions, so I better, I'm going to ask a different one instead. No, you want to, okay, sorry. No, it was a great question. Um, you know, and I have to work hard to not have a bad answer to that great question. So what I would. Okay. I'll put you on the spot then. No, I, I, I love this. I feel again, at the risk of sounding, you know, trite, I'd never want to sound trite. So I hope this comes across as honest as I mean it. I'm the luckiest person ever. And people say, oh, you know, everyone, you know, you're not lucky. You work hard. I like to think everybody works hard. So I don't think I'm any different than anybody else. I really do feel I work hard. Yes, but that I'm very lucky. And I feel the way I perpetuate the luck is by being as open as I can to other people and being as available as I can be to other people because people are amazing and incredible. And I love people and people are all connected in lots of ways. And if you put one good thing out there, it's not a zero sum game. The other stuff that'll come back will blow your mind. That's just the math that I like to adhere to. So I try to be really accessible because more good stuff has happened to me in my life, which is then trickled down to everybody in my life, family, friends, and otherwise, just from being open and being honest and trying to be kind to people. That's kind of it. It sounds, again, like, oh, yeah, you're oversimplifying. Or you're just being cute and your company was called Hello and it was friendly and your new company is called Happy. This is just how I behave. And it's worked out. So... Yes, being available, being open, being never intruded upon if someone asks you for something. I feel it's lovely that I'm, I'm on someone's mind, that they actually wanted to talk to me or share something with me or ask me something. I feel that's incredible good fortune. So I've always been like that. I'm just very grateful as, again, I don't want that to sound like bullshit. It's not. I'm really grateful. So trying to be available to people is awesome and it's hard and I've gotten some flack for it from Different folks at different times. One funny example, I was giving a talk in Bentonville. I've heard of that place. And they were, yes, and they were using my laptop at the AV station because I had some, you know, funky videos and, you know, sometimes things get lost in translation when you use someone else's computer. So they were using my laptop and the Skype button went off during my presentation and it's on this big screen and they're like yelling at me because it's coming through the audio. And I'm like, just pick it up to the AV guy, you know, I'm mic'd up and I just said, just pick it up. And they're staring, whoever's on the other side is staring at the AV guy because they couldn't sort of put that up. And I was, you know, but it was funny. And I had this conversation while I'm at, I'm in Walmart and I'm having this, you know, Skype and they knew it wasn't staged. It was, it was real. Um, Authentic. And it's good. It's, yeah, it's good to be available and magical things happen because people are genuinely good. And if people want to ask you a question, like, why wouldn't you answer? If someone wants to talk to you or put you on a podcast, what a gift. Like, Say yes. Just say yes. So it served me well. That's what I would say. More good things have happened from responding to a LinkedIn or a random text or an email. Yeah. And if anyone wants to text me, I definitely give up my number. It's 917. I'll go slow. 917-392-1000. It's a really easy number. So 917-392-1000. We'll include that in the digital liner notes of this podcast episode for people to find you. So no problem there. 
Yeah, text away. Yeah, link in. If there's a way to create magic together, that's the whole point, right? You know, when I had my daughter, my best friend, who's my business partner in this podcast, uh, said to me, you know, you have to define joy in many ways. Your job is to guide your daughter and to serve her. You have to be a servant leader and you have to remember that you serve her. And if you define joy in those terms, you will find that you will live a very happy life. And I try to take that into everything I do. And I want to serve the people around me. So I love, I think you're a kindred spirit in that way. So thank you. Thank you. That's beautiful. So let's, let's get a little closer to where we are today. In the summer of 2023, you founded Happy. Yes. So what is happy? How are you seeking to delight people who consume coffee? I am not one of those people. I'll be very transparent about that. And why did you partner with a superhero to help do this? Okay, we're going to unpack this question. So let's just go at it. I love, I love commodities. And I used to be a commodities trader in a prior life before all my CPG stuff. I was the frozen concentrated orange juice. Did you work with Duke and Duke? I believe when someone was being strangled and they were saying, it was the Dukes, Dukes. it was the Dukes. I was a member of the New York Cotton Exchange, which owns that exchange. So they also traded, yes, FCOJ, frozen concentrated orange juice. So I can say hand on heart, I have traded those things. And coffee is certainly a commodity. And I think it's a large addressable market. I was with a large retailer. This is how this happened. I was walking a store with a large retailer who was like, you're in town. Come walk a store with me. And a whole bunch of merchants because I love doing that. I love it. It's awesome. When I'm on vacation, I will get up early while everyone's still asleep. And I will go out and I will walk retail stores because it's just in my DNA. That's me. I do all the shopping. I do all the shopping too. All of it. It's like my wife knows. She's like, I just know I need one thing and I know I just have to let you go because you'll be there for three hours. And you know, I face other people's product. Like I got to make the shelf look good for everybody. Of course. Of course. I know. It's like when you're in this world, we're all cut from the same cloth, I think. So I'm walking the store and one of the merchants happened to be the coffee merchant. I didn't have any bee in my bonnet about let's go talk about the coffee category. And it just so happened I was with the coffee merchant and I'm walking around and I started, you know, maybe being a little snarky about the coffee category. And pointing things out that I thought were, you know, less than enticing to me as a non-big coffee guy. I'm not a coffee snob or, you know, anyway. So I just was talking about things that to me were very sort of interesting and, and obvious. And fast forward, they had said, like, no one's ever said anything about the category like that to me. And I get it when you say it, but like, what could it look like? And I say, you know, I'll go away and I'll try to work up some visuals and things like that. And anyway, I was back at that retailer for more of the reasons they were spending time with me to begin with. And there was a new buyer in coffee and they said, you really blew my predecessor's mind. I heard you might be coming back. You might even have some visuals. You know, can we get together? And I showed them some stuff and they were like, so when could you ship? I said, what do you mean? When could I ship? I'm like a guy with an iPad showing you pictures kind of thing. And they were like, no, we know you. And, you know, you've been an approved vendor and you ship, you know, you know what OTIF means. And, you know, O-tiff. you know, we, we can talk. And um, anyway, I decided that I wanted to dig in a little bit more on coffee. And I love names and naming. And I trademarked the word happy, which I thought was really important because coffee makes people happy. And I thought, how cool would it be if happy could make people coffee? That was it. And again, just leave the category looking at something that was different. And then, so, so all this was being worked on. 
when I say by being worked on, I didn't have a team or anything. This is just like I'm playing around. And I got introduced to Downey, Robert Downey Jr., through a mutual person connected us. And to be, again, I don't want to ever sound disrespectful. And I said to him, I said, listen, no disrespect. I have a teenage son, I, you know, when, or now he's older. But when he was a teenager, I certainly saw all your movies. But I don't know anything about you. And I didn't wiki you, TMZ you, Google you, you know, page six you. Like if, if we were going to talk, I just thought we should talk. So no disrespect. I don't want you to think I'm being disrespectful. I just wanted to hear everything from you. You the person, not you the persona. And we ended up having this three hour, over three and a half hour talk, which I wasn't expecting. And we really hit it off. And we started talking a lot about music and all these different things. And he's just an amazing guy. And as it turns out, he doesn't have a light relationship with coffee. He loves coffee. And when I tell you he loves coffee, like I'd get drilled on things like, well, let's talk about the altitude at which the coffee's grown because you know. And I was like, wait, what? He's like, let's talk about um, humidity in Sumatra because you know, because of where it is along the equatorial band, there's a heightened level of humidity and with what's gone on with El Nino. And, and I'm like, how do you know this stuff? He's like, dude, coffee is like important. And important to me. It's in his so DNA. we started seriously. So we started developing this really amazing set of discussions around coffee, and it just kept going. And you know, we were talking about this word "happy," and I remember we were having this conversation about happy as a brand. And he said, "You know, I totally get it. It's great. And you know, you're. I've been involved with this company that named Swiffer, Febreze, Dasani, Pentium, MacBook, Sonos. They're called Lexicon. They're the best naming agency on the planet. So I've been part of Lexicon. You know, I've been. I think the chairman of the advisory board there for like I don't know, thirteen years or something. I love, love, love Lexicon and naming. And he made this comment, Downey. He said, you know, but like not everybody's happy because I had said, yeah, this isn't about rainbows and unicorns. We're, we're taking a different approach to the word." And I remember when he said that, it really, really resonated in a major way. Like the echoes were like going deep, 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 deep. And my wife is a PhD in clinical psychology. And we were talking and um, I said, you know, I don't know a lot about the world of clinical psychology. Like, are there any groups that are doing some really amazing things from where you sit? And she said, oh, without a doubt, it's NAMI. I'm like, what's NAMI? Oh, it's a National Alliance on Mental Illness. So we got in touch with folks at NAMI who were like, who are you guys? I'm like, what is this? And does he let you put on the Iron Man suit when you go to talk about conversations or anything? No. You know, I haven't, I haven't asked, but I don't think it would fit me, but we could try. I'm more like a saturated fats man. Like okay, there we go. Different. Got it. And I wear that costume all the time. Anyway, long story short on NAMI, they're the most amazing people. Like full stop, no joke. They are incredible. And the more time we spent with them, the more absolutely blown away we were with them. And the more time we shared with them what we wanted to do, I think they really got on board and they understood it. And we weren't, again, trying to do something that was transactional. We were trying to create a partnership that was going to be really deep and meaningful and go the distance and not be like, well, this month it's this cause and next month it's this cause. And ooh, what's happening? What's trending in social? Ooh, let's be part of that one. And let's put that person's icon you know, this month because it's whatever awareness month and it's bring your dog to work month. And, you know, we're going to keep our social calendar ever changing with that. We didn't want to do that. We wanted, and, and again, no disrespect to that kind of branding and marketing and awareness building effort because there's a place in the world for all of it. We just thought with something as ubiquitous as coffee, with the name as we thought impactful as happy, uh, and with the need of people to understand that there are real resources out there to help them 
as regards mental health and really understanding that mental health is health and that one in five in this country have some form of a mental health challenge and challenge is like a delicate word, right? Um, mental health is real pervasive. The number two killer of teens in America is suicide. Number one is handguns and often, unfortunately, one and two go together. So, you know, the relationship of whole body health and mental health is also inextricable. If it were an airborne contagion, and you almost could argue that in some ways it, it kind of is an airborne contagion to some degree, mental health, but because um, we share things, right? But if it were, this would be pandemic levels plus, plus, plus. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the idea that there's an organization like NAMI who created 988, if you use 911, God forbid, for something, well, if there's a mental health emergency, they created 988, which is the equivalent for mental health. And more like there's 24-hour help, and it really makes a difference. And the more time we spent with NAMI, learning about the magic that they do, because it is incredible, this organization, we said, like, well, what could we help you with if there's anything? And they just said very, like, in their very calm and elegant way, they said, you know, the number one thing we hear from people is, if only I'd known about this sooner. So being marketing-type people and people who love people, we said, hmm, that sounds like an awareness issue. Like, we could help with that. So we wanted to bring awareness not only to how important mental health is and how pervasive the issues around mental health are, but also, and just as important, that there are people who care and there are resources that can actually truly help you. So on every product we have, and, you know, of course, I have some around, you know, there's NAMI. Is on every pack with a QR code and the phone numbers and brilliant. Um, and we make sure it's very it's very clear and it's not browbeating. It's not heavy handed. It's just built into the DNA of what we're doing. And then because we want to do things that were different, not just for the sake of different, but hopefully for the sake of better, we thought there was this new way to approach entrepreneurship and philanthropy. And we decided we wanted to basically give Nami a piece of the company. So NAMI is an actual shareholder in the company. This isn't like, oh, we're going to give X percent of a profit. Oh, we're a startup. We didn't make any profit. Thanks for letting us leverage your goodwill and your you know place in the world. Again, not to sound disrespectful of anybody who's trying to do good things, because I'm glad there's so many of us trying to do good things. We just want to do it a little bit differently. So that's what we're trying to do. And we're very fortunate to have Beautiful design is something we care a lot about. So I'm holding up one of our new coffee packs and it doesn't look like anything else that's on the shelf. And by the way, it's recyclable and refillable and reusable. And if you're ever making either a uh, sandcastle or a snow fort, this thing is incredible for scooping out sand or snow, just so you know. Very utility focused. I love that. All the way, all the way. So that's it. Make beautiful stuff. So here's my last question for you. And it's kind of, you mentioned the fact that the idea came to you as you were walking stores with a certain company in Northwest Arkansas. Well, maybe not that one, but yeah, a whole bunch of different retailers. But yeah, I definitely love Northwest Arkansas. So here's what I would say. Uh, Looking at where you decided to launch this, you didn't go with the two largest marketplaces in the United States. Your product is available direct to consumer. It's also on target. That seems to be the two platforms where I'm finding you. What, it's more. What, okay, well, do tell, because I want to understand what your strategy has been. Sure. So we want to be where people shop. So our launch strategy, the first stores, we're in select Target doors and Target.com. So it's in stores. I'm getting photos every day from people, which is amazing. Okay. So you can find it on shelves in not all Targets just yet, but a whole bunch. And Target.com, absolutely. And Amazon. 
com, which will be launching soon. Okay. So it's in the plan. It's it's on the site. You can go there now. So it's there for, for pre-order, but it'll be shipping very soon. And we're in Sprouts, all doors of Sprouts. We have beautiful displays and nice shelf placement in Sprouts. Also right away, we just launched. So this is all like just hot off the presses. And we will be in a lot of places very, very, very soon. So I can't give it away, but it will be, hopefully, if we do our jobs right, I think everywhere you currently buy, you know, your ground, K-Cup, Old Bean, or instant coffee, because we have that as well. And we have more to come down the road in the very not distant future. Okay. Nearby. So you will see a lot more from us. We have a very robust pipeline of product, and we have a very, very robust supply chain. And we, when we crafted the coffees, because we didn't just like wing it, we didn't just get off the shelf, let's just be cute and clever and have nice packaging. We custom crafted the bean choice. A member of our team ran the roaster for one of the biggest club channel players on the planet and okay. is a, was one of the first 300 Q graders in the world. Our coffee is magnificent. It had to be great. In fact, we probably would have launched earlier, but Mr. Downey is so particular and demanding and exacting. He needed to be delighted. I, I am not kidding. He had to be delighted. And it wasn't until he lit up and was like, we're done. This is great. By Job, I think we've got it. Seriously, that was it. So it'll be everywhere very soon. It just takes time. You know, there are planograms and other things to reset. But you'll see us in all classes of trade. And um, we couldn't be more excited. And again, we, we built, we overbuilt in a lot of ways up front the capacity to service a big, broad swath of the retail landscape, regardless of where you buy it. And frankly, I, you know, people talk about different channels. And I think the idea, I mean, it's great we call it omni-channel now, right? But yep. I always sort of laugh because... Or I, as those people in Northwest Arkansas coined the phrase CES, it's now adaptive retail. That's like the next version of that. Well, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Because the truth is, I don't really care what delivery system is involved. Mm-hmm. I don't care if a carrier pigeon brings it, a DHL, UPS, USPS, FedEx. As long as it does gets Does any there. of that matter? Exactly. So it's sort of like, it, you know, it, it's about what's the thing I got and who brought it to me. If you send me a gift, it's like you sent me a gift. I don't care how it got to me. Did you love that movie or did you love that it was on Amazon Prime, Netflix, you know, Paramount Plus, Disney Plus? Like, y- you don't care about that. You care about the thing you got. So... Yeah, we're trying to make beautiful, better things that people can fall in love with. That's it. Good stuff. All right. Uh, let me remind our audience, uh, please go to cpgguys.com. You can find all of our content. Uh, our episodes are organized by themes like innovation and retail media and whatever your heart desires. And if you think your, your company has some thought leadership that can contribute to our community discussion, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com. Maybe you can join us for a future episode of this podcast. And of course, don't forget to leave us a rating on Spotify, Apple, or on the CPG Guys page. And thank you, thank you, thank you to the now 28,000 plus followers on LinkedIn who turned to us for education and entertainment. Craig, great conversation. Thank you for joining us to talk about this wonderful new business that you have founded, Happy, and how you are delighting people in a commoditized coffee category. Really exciting. Thanks for joining us. And some swag is coming your way in short order. Oh, you are very kind. Thank you. And just remember, coffee may be a commodity, but people are not. So 
we treat each other with kindness and um, yeah, keep it special. That is deep. Well, to our audience, thank you as all of us for joining us uh, on this journey. We love having interesting conversations and we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of wait for it. The CPG guys podcast. Goodbye. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.